short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. People, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Welcome back to Cold War, episode 37, the podcast that, according to Ray, is like being kicked in the balls repeatedly. <laughs> did you like that? I oh, did. Just real quick, just real quick, what future president of Mexico is going to go, Senor Trump, tear down that wall? And of course, oh. that, he'll probably say something like, as soon as you finish paying for it, motherfucker. But yeah. anyway. Probably yeah. uh, El Chapo, I think. Mm-hmm. He'll be running things by then. Yeah. He already is running things just, just from, from inside prison. a prison yeah. cell. That's how I would In the do US that. now, I think he is. Yep, yep. Now, Ray, um, look, I want to start off by letting people know that we're not just dragging this out. No. Uh, I had a snarky comment. Well, not snarky, really. Uh, laughing comment from somebody. I think it was our mate Martin Darlington. Of course. About the fact that we've spent four months talking about the Alter Conference, which itself only took eight days. Um <laughs> And but <laughs> we today we're going to keep talking about the older conference, yeah, and right. we will be for quite a long time to come. Martin. Now, yeah, look, we we could give you the Reader's Digest version of the older conference if you wanted to. We could yeah. go look. Uh, they got together. They decided a few things. Smoke boom, some cigars. But, <laughs> but war was averted. <laughs> look, I, personally, I want to understand the detail that these podcasts, our podcast, Ray. I like yes. doing a master's degree in ancient history, or in this case, not so much ancient, but just history. Right. The people, I think people come to us, people subscribe to our shows mm -hmm. because they really, really want to understand. They don't just want the airbrushed version of history. You already get that from high school. You can pick up a 350-page history book and it's going to give you the high level. <laughs> You know, right. because that's all it can do in that amount of pages, right? But but we are here to really get up in get up in them guts and explore it with the tip, the Deep, very tip. Exactly. We start Deep with the tip penetration. And then we, exactly. 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 Well, see, you said a long time ago. You go. By the time we're done with Caesar, I want to understand how they went from a republic to an empire. And now that we've done that, it, it obviously makes a lot more sense. There was chaos, there was maneuvering. And now what we're trying to do is figure out how do you go from being allies in a war to trying to work out your problems to then not working out your problems and then starting the cold war that's going to last for decades and, and alter the, you know, the history of this planet. So again, that's what we're doing. And as Cam is probably about to say, out of all of the things that's going on in Yalta, Poland was the biggest obstacle, the biggest pain, the one thing that 
none of them felt good about. They're all coming from different directions, and um, and they have their own reasons for that, mostly selfish. But uh, again, this this is out of everything that's been going on, because no one's really getting their way, and that's the whole point of a, of a compromise. No one gets everything they want. They now get to something where no one is willing to compromise. What in the hell are they going to do? Because the entire world is watching. And it's about fucking Poland. Like, Poland. (laughs) Now, we touched the Polish discussions, I think, at the end of our last episode. But we're going to go into way more detail over the course of the next episodes about Poland. So, yeah, yeah, deep dive. We've never heard that before. Um, Mm. By the way, the uh, Inventing the Messiah documentary uh, that I'm running on Kickstarter. And by the way... I know all of you listening to this have not supported it. I know. <clears throat> I can see the numbers. I know how many yeah. people subscribe to this show. We see I know how you. many people have supported it. Ray supported it. Thank you, Ray. Yep, you're welcome. And we've got about 100 supporters. Way more listeners to the show. So, you know, I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to make you right. feel guilty. But but I am, really, all of those things, <laughs> yes. I just thought if I well, the, said that, it would soften the blow. Yeah. Like, really? Come well, on, the guys. Thing is, yeah. Well, the thing is, with the Kickstarter campaign, there's only so many days. And so if you shouldn't think, should I, should I not? Uh, someone sent me a message after I, after I supported, donated to the, uh, to the cause. Someone sent me a private email going, Ray, you must have balls of steel to do that. And so your, your you know, large American audience who don't really cotton to discussing or doubting or, or whatever you want to call it, their religion, you must just really want to go down in flames for Cam. So I'm flaming for Cam right now uh, and doing this. But uh, but see, here's my thing. When the one guy wrote on Facebook, no, thank you. I'll trust the Bible and not you guys. And I think, well, well, that's the whole point. We want to get in behind the Bible, the writing, the origins. And sorry, Cam, I'll let you talk better. But that's the whole point, to investigate it. And it's, yeah, look, look, anyone who doesn't want to know the real history, I mean, by real, I mean as academics and scholars, both believers right. and non-believers, currently think of it. Anyone who doesn't want to know that, uh, like it says more about them than it does about me or us or the That's people true. behind it, you know. That's if you don't want to really no know questions. what academics think about the history of Christianity, then really, seriously, like anyway. Just, yeah. I'm sure the people listen to this aren't in that camp, but they've just gone, like, you know, I've got better things to do with my money than fun <laughs> Cam's documentary. But keep in mind, do you really? The people that invest in this are going to be our real friends. I mean, I know that. That's true. I mean, if you come to me a year from now when we're doing our, when Ray and I are doing our documentary on Caesar, and you're like, oh, really? Like, uh, I'll say, no, no, you did. did, I've I've got a list. I'm keeping a list. (laughs) Who's naughty? Who's nice? Like Santa? Yeah, right. Or like you didn't support it. You weren't there when I needed you. They'll say, well, hey, fuck you. I did subscribe to the Cold War show. And I'm going, actually, that's a good point. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Then we go really sad. Uh, Okay. Now that I think about it, fair enough. Anyhow. Here's full frontal. Yes. Anywho, Poland. Poland. Now, as you said, Poland is a big fucking deal, surprisingly. And this has always kind of bugged me uh, in my, mm-hmm. my, my, my high-level reading of the Cold War stuff over the years. I was like, really, Poland? Like, really? why Poland? What? Who, what, where, when, why? Yeah. Now, yeah. it's going to be a major thorn in everybody's side, uh, especially when Truman comes on the scene in <laughs> six months. Mr. And Suave. think about it. Poland was the reason World War II started in the first place. Hitler mm-hmm. invaded Poland. That kicked the whole fucking thing off. Poland <laughs> is also going to be the reason, well, well, you know, one of, but a major reason why the Cold War starts. 
Right. Where did Gavrilo Princip assassinate Archduke Franz Ferdinand, causing World War One? It's up there. It's up there. Sarajevo, Bosnia. That's right. Uh, a place uh, that uh, wasn't uh, Poland. See, that's oh, I the point. That was a it all comes back to Poland. Question. Sorry, I was ready for that next time. I say, oh, ye of little faith. That is actually, yeah. yes, it is Toto. Yes, they are singing <laughs> Africa, but it is from the recording of their 35th anniversary tour live from nice. Poland. So technically, yes. technically, technically, mm-hmm. I'm in the right yeah. state. I never doubted you. Thank you, Ray. Yeah. Something Stalin said um, at the last dinner of the Yalta Conference. Not that we're skipping Ooh, ahead, but it was just a, a good line I wanted to discuss. Um, he said, <clears throat> you know, this Soviet government would never have signed the treaty with Germany in 1939 had it not been for Munich and the Polish-German treaty of 1934. So I wanted to ask you, Ray, as our resident World War II historian, mm-hmm. what does he mean by that okay. statement? I'll try to keep this under 25 minutes. But basically, um, the British never truly intended to have an alliance or an understanding written down and signed with Soviet Russia. They didn't trust them. They didn't like them. They didn't think their army was worth anything. So right before the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact is signed, um, Stalin, as we I think we've covered this before, is literally negotiating with the British and the Germans at the same time within the Kremlin. He's got one, you know, he's got the British representative going down one hall. He's got the German Ribbentrop down another hall, another office, and he's going back and forth and he's talking. And not only did Ribbentrop fly there in a plane to show how serious they were about signing this, he had the authority to sign anything uh, that they, they could work out for a non-aggression pact. Where the British came, they literally came by train and boat. It took them weeks to get there, which pissed Stalin off. And they did not have the the authority to sign anything. What London was hoping to do was literally the fact that they were in talks with Moscow would hopefully stop Stalin from signing anything with Hitler. But as we've covered, Hitler was the big man. On isn't the... that isn't that what Muhammad Ali called rope dope? Right, <laughs> you just keep him on keep him on the ropes. Yeah, yeah and negotiating, yeah. and they can't swing a punch. And because and because of all the spying, which we brilliantly covered uh, in earlier episodes, Stalin knew what was going. He he knew that they weren't going to sign anything. So he was, you know, show me what you got. Show me that you're willing to partner with me. That you take me seriously. And Britain, it seemed and the French obviously were about to do to Stalin what they had done to Czechoslovakia during the Munich agreement. Um, and so he's like, I'm not going down like this. I know I know Hitler's going to come after me one day. I've had someone read Mein Kampf for me. But if I can sign this agreement, I can grab territory while he's busy elsewhere and I can beef up my forces and I can get ready for the fight. I know that's coming. But he wasn't going to be um, tricked, deceived like um, so many other countries were. He was biding his time. And that's that's pretty much what it comes down to. He he was being played he was being played with by the British, but he knew it, and so he signed with Hitler. Uh, and, and I think it's just so ironic that um, not until near the end of the war did the Allies know about the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, and and even after the war until they knew about the secret protocols. But anyway, we'll go into that later. But he basically was just saying, I I know that you're not sincere, Germany. I hate them and I don't trust them, but at least they're sincere and it will buy me time. And time is what I need. You're looking at the heavyweight champion of the world, of course, Muhammad Ali, perhaps the most visible figure in the entire world these days. 
And tonight, well, you've made your boast. You say that Lyle will go anywhere between one and one eight. One and eight, it'll be all over. All over. All over. The man's never been knocked out. George Fulmer's never been knocked out. Chuck Webber's never been knocked out. And this man's never been out. So it gives me something to fight for. Well, you say that this time you're in shape. By your own admission, you are not for weapon. Now, let's have a look oh, at that belly. Well, I'm in pretty good shape. I'll get by. <laughs> don't worry about my belly. You're not in good shape either. <laughs> and if you keep talking, I'm going to show the people you're in no better shape than me. How do you plan to fight the fight, champ? Well, I plan to fight my new style. Huh? I will announce it now. The new style about landing a rope sometime, letting a man punch himself out. It is called the rope of dope the rope a dope rope a dope who does the word dope honor it honors whoever chases me in the rope <laughs> all right that's the very point what if ron lyle doesn't <laughs> Oh, I love Ali oh. and Howard Cosell together, oh man. Like, I think of you and me as the Ali and Howard Cosell of <laughs> podcasting. Um, yeah. Me, obviously, the handsome, suave black man. Right. You, the you. older, balding white man. Right. At least you don't have a toupee going no. on. I'm thinking about it, though. When I come to Australia, yeah. I might look a little, oh. I might look a little different. Yeah. We'll see. I think we should we just go a big wig for you, <laughs> like a big big afro, like a Richard Simmons wig. If we could, um, yeah. <laughs> so... Thank you for that long and unnecessary explanation of Munich. In my notes, I had just written, actually, we know about the Munich thing, but what about the Polish-German Treaty of 1934? That's the bit I wanted you to talk about, not Munich, which we've covered in detail, and as we've covered in detail before. Well, now that you've heard my feelings, why don't you tell us? Now that I've I've been kicked in the balls again. Yeah. So the Polish-German Treaty, uh, something that was signed in 1934 between, obviously, the Polish and the Germans, and it, it committed both of those two countries to bilateral ne- negotiations to resolve any of their problems and to avoid armed conflict for a period of 10 years. Oh, almost made it. Now, the guy that was Poland's military dictator at the time, Josef Pilsudski, Puzutski, let me say mm-hmm. that again, Puzutski, um, <clears throat> he signed that. He regarded, he had been, for those who don't know Polish history, uh, came up through the ranks in World War One. ended up, started off as a socialist, uh, ended up pursuing that, basically becoming, through a coup d'etat in the 20s, coup d'etat became a de facto military dictator of Poland. Um, he regarded Hitler as less dangerous than his immediate predecessors because he was Austrian and not right. Prussian. And Pazutsky had uh, fought alongside Austrians before, thought, eh, these Austrians, good guys, good blokes, Hitler, good bloke. Uh, <laughs> we're safe signing a non-aggression pact with Adolf Hitler. What could possibly go wrong? Now, these days, Pazutsky is regarded as the father of the modern Polish nation. Mm-hmm. Did a lot of, uh, you know, he was he was brutal, but he did a lot of good things as well to, to, to pull them up by their bootstraps. Interestingly, um, I don't know if you saw this, but I posted his family crest up on Facebook, the Pazutski family crest the other day, uh, and it's yeah. basically a stick drawing of a stick man with a really, really <laughs> huge, massive penis. And I and I did some investigation. I was like, "That's an, an interesting family crest." Like, really? 
Like the Riley family crest, as I think you know, is a severed hand with blood dripping from it, um, which basically means you touch my cock and I'll chop your hand off. Right. Uh, what's the uh, what's the Harris family crest? Oh God, it would have to be. You see a large group of people, and it's a dual purpose. It's a um, it's a family reunion slash wedding. Um, some cousin from some side is man, another cousin from the other side. Everybody's wishing them well, but asking them not to have kids because of the obvious, uh, and to adopt instead. So it's a group of people, <laughs> most of their teeth, um, and some boots and, and wearing camouflage. And quite a few, quite a few farm animals for reasons <laughs> well, never quite explained. they're part of the family, but we'll go into um, that later. So I drilled down into the Bazootski, uh, um, um, history and apparently they actually changed their name along the way uh, into Polish Pazutski, but originally the Latin version of it was Vigus Dickus. You said. Funny about Vigus Dickus. Well, it's a joke name, sir. I have a very great friend in Rome called Vigus Dickus. <laughs> anyway, go check that out. Uh, go and have a look at our Facebook page. Seriously, yeah. it's the family crest. I'm not even joking about this. It's just a stick drawing of a guy yeah. with a huge dick. Like, I was like, okay, man, like, all right. That was Put th- it out there. Thrown together pretty quickly, I think. Any any of our Polish listeners might be able to explain that Please to do. us. Um, my mother considers herself kind of Polish, but she's not a listener. Um, so he died, uh, Pazutski, in 1935 of liver cancer. Mm. So signed a deal with Hitler and then died the next year. Um, never got to see just how that, how... Uh, Non-aggression pact panned out. So what I think Stalin means, Stalin quote, by the way, the Soviet government would never have signed a treaty treaty with Germany in 1939 had it not been for Munich and the Polish-German Treaty of 1934. So I think what he's saying was, look, these two agreements that the British and French signed with Hitler over the appeasement and his invasion of the Sudetenland... Mm -hmm which is the Munich Agreement, and the Polish uh, Non-Aggression Pact gave Hitler the time he needed to rearm the country so he could eventually attack the USSR, which, as we know, was his plan all along, hated the communists, wanted the land, wanted the natural resources. Now, I think the argument from um, Stalin is kind of interesting. I mean, like, he signed the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact for the same Mm -hmm. kind of reasons, so, you know, they... So he could buy time to rearm himself. Um, But uh, anyway, so that was his excuse. Now, look, if you all hadn't signed your non-aggression packs, I wouldn't have had to sign my non-aggression pact. So back the fuck off. He's got to survive. Yeah. yeah. Um, But but no one ever brought up the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact at Yalta. So... So he's being a little bit sort of uh, yeah. on the defensive. He, yeah. They were all talking about something. And he was like, "What? What was? What did you say about the Molotov Ribbentrop Pact?" No, no. They said, "What? Nothing. We we were talking about the uh, the Chateaubriand yeah. and the caviar." Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I, "I'm sure I heard you mention the Molotov Ribbentrop Pact. Let me tell you about you the Molotov off. Ribbentrop See, Pact." Here's the other thing. I mean. Everybody knows that spheres of influence is, is what has dominated um, international politics since there's been more than three people on this planet. And Stalin was basically looking for someone who would make a deal with him. Look, let's sign something. We don't attack each other. I get all this. 
you get all that. Yeah, you got to go fight for it. But all this is mine. All this is yours. There was no way Britain was going to do that. So when Germany comes along, not only does he get the breathing space, he gets the opportunity to go after this territory to to right some supposed wrongs against Finland and stuff like that. But the point is, that's the way it had always been. He wasn't doing anything brand new. This wasn't astounding. He was just playing the game of international politics, and he found someone who was willing to go along with him and buy him some time. Hitler or Stalin? Stalin. I'm sorry. You're talking about Stalin. Stalin. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. So he was it was it was the best deal for him at the time and you really really can't blame him for it um that's just the way it was the, that was the reality on the ground. Now speaking of Hitler while um while everyone was meeting in Yalta on February 6th uh Hitler having a party. He was having a party back in his bunker in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Eva Brown's 33rd birthday. Aww. And Hitler, Hitler was in like his 50s at this yeah. stage. So, uh, yeah, way to go, Adolf, man. Uh, like uh, hitting the younger women is good to be the Führer. <laughs> I actually was able to track down. You, you're going to be surprised by this, yeah. right? You're going to be shocked. I managed to track down a clip of a track that Hitler produced for... Her party. Nice. He he mixed it himself, put it together. I think you're gonna like this. Venus Schnitzel. Yeah. Now, yeah, he uh, he tried rapping over the top of it. Didn't quite work. His flow wasn't really great. So, of course, Nina picked that up uh, 30, 40 years later. And, uh, you know, just, just sampled the track, basically. Turned it in. Turned it in 99 North Balloons and uh, had a big hit. Hitler wasn't around to sue, so, uh, you yeah, know, kind yeah. of got away with it. No one ever even remembers Hitler's right, version because yeah, you're not allowed to talk about it in Germany. There was yeah. the original track. Uh, so thousands of Berliners had died a few days earlier when the Allies had bombed the fuck out of Hitler's Berlin apartments and the Nazi party headquarters. But he was like, yeah, you know, you don't sweat the little things. Everyone have a good time. Maybe who knows? You won't have another birthday party, so this could be your last one, Eva. I mean, I know this sounds a little like I know I talk about it, but uh, you got to live since the moment. That's my philosophy, okay? And they did. They partied it up and here, yeah. I want to see video of Hitler partying. I think that would kind of rant out his character a little bit. Did he, did he yeah. do the white man overbite like I do uh, when he danced? Uh, I want to see footage of Hitler. Yeah. I want to yeah. see a disco ball. I want to see Hitler on the mic. Little bit of the dancing with the Eva Brown. Hey! Yeah. It's one ball rubbing up against a camel toe. No. I'm getting aroused. Stop. Stop. Oh, no, I didn't go there. I can't believe that. That's wrong. Anyway. Oh, I got those bombs but, just for you. Yeah. But, <laughs> meanwhile, the Nazi leaders were already looking for supplies of poison. Uh, you know, it, it, that's my favorite kind of party <laughs> where you're also 
people are coming up during the party and they're like, hey, well, I has this arsenic and I has this one and the other one, uh, the juice of the fucking, what the fuck did Phokion die oh, from in Athens? On. What are they use? I can't remember. What the fuck? Socrates and Phokion died. Anyway, anyway, kind of reminded me of that Phokion story we did on Alexander uh, a while back where he had to buy his own poison because the <laughs> Athenian state ran out of poison. <laughs> he he had to come up with money to loan to the Athenians to go buy poison for his own execution. Yeah. That's rough. I wonder if the Nazi leaders had to buy their own poison or if Hitler provided it out of state funds. I know they... I know they went looking for it. And, and see, the great thing Hemlock. about being the Fuhrer is Hemlock. that you don't pay for anything. You tell someone mm. to go get it. They take a gun with them in case, you know, there's a price. Uh, mm. And, uh, yeah, they just bring they just bring it back. So they so some white-coated um, uh, server was walking around. I have some truffles. I have some crackers. <laughs> I have some arsenic. I have some poison. I mean, uh-huh. yeah, so they were uh-huh. looking for it because they were going to end it because they knew it was it was all about to come crashing down. No pun intended. <laughs> Now, Hitler um, knew that the counter-offensive in the Ardon that we've mentioned before had failed and apparently spent his time dreaming about what he was going to do after the war. Um, he was going to go into retirement back to his hometown of Linz. Mm-hmm. Did, you, uh, did you read about this? <clears throat> He um, was it was it a chancellery? He was having something built. Obviously, they were bombing the hell out of the area, but he had a model of something a building or a house or a home or a chancellery built. And he would just sit there and stare at it. Oh, I'm just going to sit there and walk around and I'm going to be retired and I'm just going to enjoy my golden years after conquering the world. And and it's going to be great. And he would just fantasize over and over and over to escape the reality that, you know, everything was coming down around. He had somebody rebuilding his hometown of Linz because it had been destroyed by the Allies. He had somebody in charge of rebuilding it. How about that guy, eh? Hitler comes to you and says, uh, I want you to rebuild my hometown of Linz. And he's like, uh, still what for, mein Führer? <laughs> I'm going to live there after the war. Uh, really, Führer? Are you like, are you on fucking drugs? You really, you really think? You really think they're going to let you? Look, look, look to your left. That's, that's like a million fucking red army soldiers walking into Berlin. Look to your right. That's the fucking Americans walking into Berlin. You really think they can let you retire in Linz? What are you fucking smoking, mein Führer? Because right. I want some. And so he, he built him a model. Uh, he, he did. Hitler did insist that he rush the model job. So he brought that to him in his underground <laughs> bunker. It was, it went eight meters below ground. So when all those Berliners are dying, you know, he's fine. And uh, so he's just staring at this thing and he's thinking about all the fun and the, the carefree. You know, this is kind of like Trump after after his two and a half years in office before he's impeached or whatever. He's going to go back to New York and he's just going to dream about his hotel and just and just, you know, just relax and say, yeah, I did my bit for, for, for the country. It's time for me to relax now. I've actually got a clip of uh, the moment when the guy who built the model presented it to him. I give you the Derek Zoolander Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good. (laughs) What is this? Oh, shit. A center for ants! (laughs) Thanks for talking over the top of my clip there. Sorry. Fun spoiler. Um... Yeah. So anyway, yes, that's what Hitler was thinking. Um, Goebbels 
Joseph Goebbels, the propaganda minister, kept sidling up and you know, mein Führer, uh, remember the Frederick the Great, he nearly lost the war against uh, France and Russia in 1762, but then, do you remember what happened? Oh, oh that's great, oh, Providence. the empress, the empress of Russia suddenly died and, and the coalition collapsed and, and he survived. It's called the miracle and the vistula. Oh, it's fucking fantastico. Fantastico? What is he, Italian now? Yes. What? Where did that come from? When needs so, must. So, now, they were convinced that the communists and the capitalists mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to get along, and so the alliance uh, would fall apart. And you know what? They were right. <laughs> well, say what you yeah. want about Hitler and Goebbels, <laughs> but they were right in their assessment that the communists and the capitalists wouldn't be able to get along. Unfortunately, it didn't fall apart as quickly as they hoped. Right. But if Hitler had survived another year, and let's say he had had gone to the Nazi base that's on the dark side of the moon that we all know exists. (laughs) Yes, still there today. I'm sure I heard Alex Jones talking about that. So if he said it's real, it must be real. (laughs) By the way, as I've decided recently, Alex Jones uh, from Infowars.com is going to be the next president of the United States after Trump. That's where it goes. If, of course, there still is the job of president, he's not just God Emperor, Um, after Trump, uh, Alex Jones is next. Nice. On the uh, the list, that's that's where it goes. If you're wondering where it goes after Trump, that's where it goes. Alex Jones. Anyway, if Hitler had survived another year, what do you think would have happened? Like, do you think would the Soviets and the Germans have allied again once the U.S. had a nuclear bomb? Would they have uh, uh, come together and tried to battle the global tyrant that was threatening to destroy the world with their nuclear technology? Nah, I, by by this time or by that time, Germany would have been so weak as a power economically and militarily. It would have been suicide to align with them for any reason. Uh, after what Germany had done to uh, Soviet Russia, Stalin was going to go in there and and just kick ass, take names, chew bubble gum, and take as much land as he possibly could. The only only reason he stopped was because of the Western Allies. So I don't and think then anything, he ran out of bubble gum. And then, uh, yeah, I don't think anything would have changed. It just would have the the dates have would have changed, but Germany would have been um, mm-hmm. mowed up, mowed under. So in the in the line between the two allies would have been somewhere else, but instead of Berlin. But no, I don't think anything would have changed. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't a serious question anyway. Um, now, the Nazi the propaganda nuts. at the time, Nazi propaganda at the time were positioning their war against the Soviets as the Red Menace. Now, I thought that was interesting because um, the, the, the British and the Americans basically took that propaganda and just, you know, yeah. tra- translated it in, from German into English a couple of years later and used the same thing. Yeah. And, so and why stuff. not? Yeah. They, they took the Nazi scientists, so why not take the Nazi propaganda? That just makes sense. Uh, hey, um, President Truman, what do you want us to bring back? Uh, I tell you what, grab those scientists over there. We'll take those and... Um, we'll take some rockets out. and the propaganda handbook. And, and the propaganda. Yeah, let's take that as well. Yeah, let's take that home. That'll look good on the wall. Now, people may not be familiar with something called Operation Paperclip. Mm-hmm. I think it was originally called Overcast. 
which is now a podcasting app, which tells you all you need to know about those guys, uh, built by Nazis. Um, but Operation Paperclip was originally uh, was eventually called. Now, this is where the US took 1,600 German scientists, engineers, and technicians, most of whom were registered Nazis, right. some who were quite up in leadership roles in the Nazi party, and um, took them back to the United States to work for the government. Do you know why it was called Operation Paperclip Ray? Why? No, I don't know why it was called that. Because those scientists went on, and a lot of them went to work for Microsoft and invented Clippy, um, oh, who used to pop up in I Office ninety five. That because he had the little mustache <laughs> underneath. Oh, I should have <laughs> known that. <laughs> I noticed that you're trying to do something Jewy. Stop. Halt. Halt. Verboten. Verboten. Nein. 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 Oh, uh, did I say that in German? I, I, I'm sorry. You must have your language settings wrong. It was called Operation Paperclip because the ordnance officers would attach a paperclip to the folders of the rocket experts mm. who they wanted to go to the U.S. An original, so but just, that's American. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So now it wasn't just the Americans. The Soviets um, uh, were even more aggressive during Operation Osserwechen. They um, they forcibly no. uh, at gunpoint <laughs> recruited two thousand German uh, scientists in a single night. Damn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my accents are all over the place. I can't think of my accent. What? I've got to think vodka, vodka, potatoes, vodka. How many of you would like to sign recruitment form? <laughs> no. How about gun to temple? <laughs> um, so the most famous one that the Americans hired, of course, was Werner von Braun, mm-hmm. uh, who was a high-ranking member of the Nazi party and the SS, joined the Nazis in 1937... Not 1939, as he claimed during his interview with the Americans. Smart. Um, yeah. Uh, he invented the V2 rocket for Nazi Germany, and which, of course, according to a BBC documentary I watched anyway, uh, resulted in the deaths of 9,000 British civilians mm. and military personnel mm-hmm. and a further 12,000 forced labourers and concentration camp prisoners died as a result of being forced to work in the production of the weapons. But the Americans didn't care about that. They were like, eh. Bottom line. We're bottom line you know, people. He knows something about rockets, eh? <laughs> hey, well, you know about the rockets, eh? Come over, my friend. Come over here, would kid. You like to go to hey. Disneyland? I know it's the 40s, but this is my 20s accent, you see? <laughs> WC Fields, I don't know what's going on there. So anyway, he went to the U.S., ended up running a big part of NASA's space program, invented the Saturn V rocket, uh, and put men on the moon. I wonder, I'm sure a lot of Americans feel proud of American ingenuity that landed a man on the moon. I wonder how many of them realized it was actually a Nazi who landed... Men, American men on the moon. You don't hear about that no. when you know when John Glenn or uh, Neil Armstrong or any of these guys die. You never hear. And they were put on the moon by a Nazi working for the American look, government. Look, this is a country of immigrants 
former Nazi immigrants, whatever. But the point is they have the skills that we need. Get your butt over here. Let us give you a nice living and, and produce what we need so we can stay ahead of the, uh, the Soviets. So it's a win-win-win. Gather round while I sing you a Werner von Braun, a man whose allegiance is ruled by expedience. Call him a Nazi, he won't even frown. Nazi schmazi, says Werner von Braun. <laughs> Don't say that he's hypocritical. Say rather that he's apolitical. Once the rockets are up, who cares where they come down? <laughs> That's not my department, says Werner von Braun. <laughs> Pretty racy. Some have harsh words for this man of renown, but some think our attitude should be one of gratitude, like the widows and cripples in old London town who owe their large pensions to Werner von Braun. You too may be a big hero, once you've learned to count backwards to zero. In German or English, I know how to count down. And I'm learning Chinese, says Werner von Braun. Damn. Now, I've watched a couple of documentaries on YouTube. By the way, there's some great, great footage of uh, documentaries on YouTube all about Werner von Braun, both the German side of him, like the invention of the V2, and right. um, then, you know, landing on the moon. There's a great one from the mid-50s made by Walt Disney TV. Um, oh all of Werner von Braun talking about his plans to put um, man on the moon. So this is a good, like, 14 years before they actually did it, but he's showing you the rockets and explaining how it's going to work. And by the way... He was completely wrong in his plan at that stage. Um, he was going to uh, build a space station first, send the rocket to the space station, then send it from the mm. space station to the moon. But but you know anyway, essentially he just got smarter and they had better thrust and different things. Right, I guess. it's all about the thrust. Got there in the end. See, that's where you go wrong, my friend. Uh, see, no, 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 no. It's not about the thrust. It's about the twist at the <laughs> end. Clockwise uh, or counterclockwise? I thought I taught you this in Vegas. I'll show you again when you come. I'll get Chrissy to demonstrate when you come over. Oh, by the way, i got to tell you this story that she told me not to tell anyone. So, okay. Can whisper it? So, a couple of years ago, pre-Fox, I think Chrissy was pregnant. We were out one night on a date going out to dinner or whatever. We're... um. Walking back, we walk past the sex shop. It's open, it's late at night. And, you know, we go, hey, let's go in, bit of fun. So we go in. We're looking at all the toys and the dildos and the things. And mm -hmm. and um, uh, we get talking to this shop assistant. Uh, and, you know, she's like, well, what are you looking for? And we said, we don't know. We're not looking for anything. We just came in. And Chrissy's got a lot of toys. Let's just say that. As, as every healthy, sexually healthy woman does. Um, yeah. So the... Chrissy goes, like, you don't have anything. You should get something. Now, for a guy, you're limited to a cock ring, um, one of those fake vaginas. What's the point right. when you've already got an awesome real one? Exactly. And, um, and a butt plug. So anyway, this woman, long story short, ends up convincing <laughs> us to buy this massive big black butt plug that vibrates. 
We thought it was hilarious. We get home. It sits in a box under the bed. I've never used it, never opened it. I don't believe you. We, we laugh about it. Like like the next day, we even said, we should take that back. We're not gonna, ever going to use that. It just looks ridiculous. My butt's too tight. Anyway, it just sat there for like three years under the bed, swear right. to God, in a gathering dust in a black bag. Anyway, we've got this cleaner who comes in every couple of weeks, <laughs> cleans, middle-aged woman. Um, he's probably more than middle-aged, 50, 50, early 50s, I don't know. Anyway, so this thing is sat under the bed in a black bag, in a box, gathering dust, my side of the bed for years. Anyway, cleaner leaves the other day. Later that night, I'm going through my bedside drawers looking for headphones or something. In the bottom drawer of my bedside table, I find this thing taken out of, from under the bed, out of the bag, in the box still, but put in my bottom drawer. It's got butt plug written on it. Vibrating butt plug, big letters. And I'm like, oh my God, the cleaner has obviously been vacuuming under the bed, found this, taken it out of the bag, gone, oh, he probably wants that. (laughs) He's probably kicked it under the bed accidentally. (laughs) She's put it... And I wondered why she was grinning at me for the rest of the day. (laughs) I walked it down to a car. I know what you like. I walked it in a car to take... I had to take some rubbish in. She was like, "Uh uh-huh. So... We've been trying to. I've been trying to work out what I'm going to do next time she comes. I said to Chrissy, "I'm going to melt some chocolate and pour it over this <laughs> no. thing, you know, and just leave it sitting out on the bedside table, and may see what she Lawsuit. does. Maybe <laughs> see what she does this time. Maybe put some chocolate on the sheets. Maybe spill some on the floor on the carpet. Splatter some on the walls. Uh, you know, and just see what she does. <laughs> Got to step it up a notch. You know. I thought you'd like I that story. Do. Yeah, you really do. Yeah. Hey. Uh. I'm not uh, not ashamed. Not ashamed. Not ashamed, <laughs> no, people. Not. Oh, yeah, it's funny. We've been laughing about it for days, man. Like, there'll be a break. There'll be some quiet. And one of us will just go, bug. Girls. <laughs> anyway, what was I? Werner von Braun. Yeah. That's, yes. How's that for Freudian? Rockets, plug. <laughs> Werner von Braun. <laughs> now. Oh, God. <laughs> You know, so I watch these documentaries, Inventing the V2 and then the Man in the Moon thing, like really great documentaries, lots of interviews with him. He was a brilliant guy. Like literally Mm. this guy, there was a number of people involved in in taking rockets from science Mm. fiction to reality, but he was the main one. He's everything, every fucking, every time you see any sort of space thing or jet planes or SpaceX, you know, um, Elon Musk is last landing. All the stuff Richard Branson's company's doing, whatever. It all goes back to Werner von Braun. This guy pulled rocket ships ships out of science fiction and into reality uh, for Hitler, funded by Hitler. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, big vision, just fucking genius, this guy. Absolute genius. Took him a lot of experiments to get it right. There were some other people around the world too, like Americans working on it, but right. it was really Werner von Braun that was the fucking genius. He was like the Steve Jobs of Nazi right. rocketry, man. Like yeah. just a genius. Um, my favorite quote, though, from von Braun is To us, Hitler was still only a pompous fool with a Charlie Chaplin mustache, another Napoleon who was wholly without scruples. A godless man who thought himself the only god. All right, I don't like the Napoleon reference, but the rest of it I like. Right. But particularly in light of today's political climate in the US, you know, we just thought Hitler was a pompous fool. Turned out to be 
something much different. So anyone else you think might just be a pompous fool, be careful yes. that you don't underestimate the pompous fools. Von Braun died in nineteen seventy seven. Do you know where he died? No, where? Alexandra, Virginia. Really? How far Ooh. is that from where you live in Bumfuck, uh, Virginia? That, that, uh, <laughs> uh, just under two hours. Wow, that's that's a long way, yeah. It's a big state, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're going to go into depth, uh, as you can well imagine, on Von Braun much later in the series when we get to Operation Paperclip uh, somewhere around, right, we're going like 2057. I think we'll hit that. <laughs> Let's hope uh, that... Uh, later in the year. Bio Vivo and Liz Parrish... Uh, have uh, successful uh, with their anti-aging experiments, right. and we'll we live that going. long. Exactly. How are we going for time, old buddy? 47 minutes. All right. We've got a bit more. Um, yeah. Now, so you talked about spheres of influence before. Mm-hmm. And we've mentioned that the Americans were very keen to convince the Soviets and the British to give up on this old idea of spheres of influence, even though the Monroe Doctrine was still very much official American policy regarding Latin America. Right. It's okay when we do it. Yeah. 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 You know, Woodrow Wilson, during World War I, was one of the leaders of this idea that the old methods of dividing up the world into regions of influence hadn't worked and had led the world into the Great War. I think there's some truth to that. But um, it wasn't the only thing that led the world into the Great War. I mean, treaties really led the world into World War One, And you didn't hear anyone go, you know what, this idea of treaties? Yeah, right. treaties are bad. We should get rid of the idea of treaties because uh, look what they got us into in World War One. Let's stop doing that. So um, I think that's interesting that they wanted to get rid of spheres of influence but not treaties. But not even all Americans agree with the idea, obviously, of uh, getting rid of spheres of influence. Sumner Wells, uh, Black Threesome, as his superhero name was. No. <laughs> uh, oh, he... crap. <laughs> okay. Sorry, continue. <laughs> the guy who wrote the original draft of the UN Charter, it still contained the ideas of uh, spheres of influence. Yeah. Uh, for people who can't remember back as far as two or three episodes ago, his original version of the United Nations Security Council was that each of the permanent members would have responsibility for maintaining security in their region. And he was working on a model that was supported by Roosevelt. So you got to imagine that Roosevelt was on board with that. So on one hand, Roosevelt's going, yeah, spheres of influence, you know, we got really other no good. On the other hand, let's fucking hard code it into the United Nations. Um, Let me ask... Let me ask you a quick question about that. So I guess, um, so with with Sumner Wells, Russia pretty much takes care of, uh, I guess, Eastern Europe, Asia, uh, the United States, you know, United States takes care of, uh, you know, North America, South America, whatever. Britain pretty much takes care of Western Europe. So I guess because that's a lot of work, I mean, you got to keep everybody in line. You got to keep everybody happy. You're justified in taking resources from them to help pay for the troops that you have to keep all over the place to make sure that bad guys don't rise and 
Take the resources. Do, you know, t- <laughs> yeah, take take over. So yeah, so you're policemen, but you're the only one with a gun. So I get, I mean, because you, you pretty much see how this is going to play out. I'll be responsible for this, but this is going to cost me a lot of money. So I'm going to have to take from the very people that I am supposedly overseeing in order to oversee them. So yeah, it, it's 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 nothing different than what Alexander was doing. It was just uh, with different equipment, and they were wearing different suits. It's all bullshit. But that's the only thing they knew. That's the way it had always been done. Yeah. And it's, you know, still the way it's done. Now, honestly, uh, we're a little yeah. bit more subtle yeah. about it, but it's uh, a little bit more sophisticated, but it's really still the same way it's done. We just don't talk about it in polite company. <laughs> um, Bad form. Yeah, you don't, br- you don't bring it up in, in public. Uh, but uh, I want, I think it's important to remember that America had everything to gain and very little to lose by getting the major European powers to give up on the idea of spheres of influence. Keep in mind that the US wanted access to European markets. And so they were like, yeah, you know, this whole spheres of influence thing, particularly because spheres of influence traditionally ended up as trading blocks where there was complete control, complete lockdown. And they weren't porous in terms of trade. Um, you, if that was your sphere of influence, you controlled everything inside it. And the U.S. wanted to get rid of that, the trading blocks, because America had a lot of stuff that they made. Their economy was in dire straits before the war. Coming out of the war, they wanted to have no barriers to trade so they could sell their goods far and wide and um, also get access to the natural resources that they needed to keep keep making stuff but yeah look yeah just to follow up because i think i think um, everybody's guilty of this and i certainly think trump is guilty of this i mean the americans had to know that they could uh, they could um talk about peace love equality all that stuff they wanted but you make a very good point look our our house is fine. We weren't bombed. We weren't attacked. We weren't um, occupied or enslaved. And now that the war is over or about to be over, we want everybody to get rid of all of their economic barriers so we can sell our stuff to everybody that we can possibly get to, to keep our economic house in order. And so they're, they're talking about all this equality, but what they're really doing is trying to screw everybody over to get their stuff inside. I mean, at some point, you just think that it's okay because you're the one doing it and you're the guy in the white hat and you're looking out for everybody. And if everybody would just bone up and be like America, you know, be like us because we're number one, then everything will be okay. So at any point, is there anybody who is genuinely thinking about the large picture of humanity and not trying to get something out of it? I would just like, besides Jesus, Jesus, obviously, I would like to meet this one person who is just thinking about everybody selfishly. We have not run into this person yet. And any of these podcasts we have done. Did you mean selflessly? Selflessly. Sorry. 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 Hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, look, I I just think they were being very pragmatic. I mean, imagine that um, you uh, were in a coma for 20 years. And during that time, you're in a coma. Um, there was a, <clears throat> a huge stock market bubble and everyone threw all their money into it. And um, then it crashed just before you woke up. And everyone else is poor. Everyone is poor. They've lost everything. Prices crash. Housing prices crash. Everything crashes. You come out of your coma. 
you've still got all of your money, all of your assets, and let's say you actually had some, uh, unlike right. you and me, uh, yeah. and uh, you would go around and you'd start buying up everything. I mean, that's that's uh, people are trying to sell their houses uh, for cents on the dollar. I mean, they need the money. You've got the money. You know that the market's going to go back up over the next 20 years. So you just go around and you go, hey, look, I'm being charitable. Here's my money, but I'm going to buy all of your shit because you know this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to actually cash in, make serious bank, uh, get the Benjamins uh, by uh, taking advantage of the situation. And that's exactly what America did, what the geopolitical modelers thought after the end of World War II. We're going to come out of this mostly through luck more than engineering. Right. We are rich. Everyone else is poor. They need money. We have money. We want to buy access to their markets, their resources, their political parties. And uh, right. we're going to fund their elections to stop the communists from getting elected so look, it's just pragmatic. You know, they just did what any of us would probably do in that situation. Make hay while the sun shines. I'm not suggesting that in doing that, they were being selfish or evil or whatever. My whole point is just to say that let's understand that they did it mostly for um, self-serving reasons. This wasn't, as it is often portrayed, a great act of charity. Right. Um, giving poor people money in order, in return for buying access to their markets and buying control of their political parties and process, getting favourable trade deals, access to their natural resources, is a commercial exercise. It's not charity. Charity right. is giving them money and expecting nothing in return. Giving them money and then saying, but you have to spend that money buying our stuff, exactly. yeah. as was the case of the Marshall Plan, isn't charity. Now, you know, that did it help the people of Europe? Absolutely. They were broke. Yeah. They needed money. Um, but it wasn't charities. So let's not, you know, kid ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. It, which, which is, and all of that you just said makes what we're going to go into the next two shows so fascinating about Poland. I mean, these, these three guys are going to go toe to toe with each other and it's going to get intense and it's going to get ugly. There's going to be some raised voices and some passionate speeches. These guys are going to go at each other, even though FDR doesn't seem to know a lot about Poland. He seems to be a lot of uh, pretty naive as far as the specifics in the country. These guys are going to go at each other because they have their ideas about what's best for not only Poland, not only Europe, but for, for humanity in general. And so even though they're all looking out for themselves, they do seem to, to a degree, really be looking out for this country because, you know, the the Western powers are trying to stop Stalin from spreading communism. Stalin needs his corridor closed so he can't be attacked again. So it's self-serving, but at the same time, these guys genuinely do seem to care to whatever degree is acceptable or allowed to care about the people of Poland. And that's just that's just what makes what's coming up just so fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> um, uh, I was going to start talking more about the Monroe Doctrine and how the US were exercising at the time and afterwards. But I think we'll leave that for the next episode because uh, we're getting up to sort of an hour and I want to read out some mm-hmm. uh, names, man. Names. Cool. Yeah. Uh, let me just uh, make a note of where we finished for next time. Um, so I want to thank the following lovely, lovely people that have recently joined the ranks of our heroes since our last uh, time we re- we read them out. 
DEFCON right. 1. New DEFCON 1 supporters. Ulrich Hoxha, Mitchell Hrachia. <coughs> Sorry, I just had a furball in my throat. Hrachia. Sorry, Mitchell, for making fun of your name. It's, I'm not making fun, Sorry. I just can't pronounce it. Ben Price, right. Ishmael Strella, Claire Reed, Karen Murday, Sam Norderman, Michael Noble, Peter Barr, Matteo Masiello, Adam Bruski. Uh, people say, hey, you want a Bruski? He's like, hey, hey, what? Hello? Paul <laughs> Volkovinski. He'll be able to help us. He'll get our Polish pronunciations right, um, if he's, in fact, Polish. And Ermia Retseja Afsa. Uh, they're our new heroes. It's all of our new heroes. Thank you, folks. Thank no you. New reviews. Um, we'll be Damn it. back next time with uh, more on the discussion of Poland. And sex toys. curtain has descended across the continent. build-up on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. 